Shelton as a church, we have been walking through the book of Micah in the spring with the theme of walking humbly with hope. And today we are arriving at the final chapter. So in the next two, three Sundays, we will wrap up our studies. I hope this series has been edifying in your soul. And today, in our time, I'll dive into kind of first nine, ten verses of this chapter. Just the other day, I was working out late at night at the gym, and I'm walking out, and as I'm walking out, this guy, big guy, comes to the locker room with a great swagger, walks in like this. And I guess he saw one of his acquaintance or friend who shouts out, how are you doing? And he's like, doesn't even blink without hesitation. Any second, he's like, fantastic. And I'm like, well, somebody's having a good day. Good for him. Maybe that's his personality. But as I'm walking out, because I was thinking about what I'm preaching today, I I couldn't help but have a little silly laughter. Because what I'm about to preach, what Micah brings us today, is exactly opposite as fantastic. Chelton, I have a very uplifting and happy sermon for you today. (laughs) Well, how, Chelton? How does God want us to handle difficulties and hardships in our lives? Uh, Does he want us just to plow through it, power through it? Does he want us just to shove it under the rug and pretend everything's okay? I'm doing fantastic. Or on the other side, does God want us to be completely crushed by its agony? What does the Lord want in our lives? when you go through such terrible circumstances. See, we as a church have talked quite a bit, both directly and indirectly, about human sufferings. And today we are diving into, in a sense, a subsection of suffering, our attitude, what we call it, lament. See, one of the perhaps most misunderstood or at best least balanced understanding of Christianity is how we lament. So today, as we dive in, I want to provide your language that Micah brings us to so that we may be a church, people of God, who lament well in the presence of the Lord without falling into potential pitfalls to what is not biblical lament. So perhaps you are right there today. You feel like, oh, Oh, God, this has been just way too much. I pray that the Lord will speak to you. Now, you expect me to say three things that we are about to study. I'm not doing that today. No outline. And if you are wondering why some people are chuckling, visitors, because I always give three points often, today it's very straightforward. We'll just dive in right in about what biblical lament is all about. Of course, I'll give you four points as we go along. But let's dive in right away. Shall we do that? See how Micah begins this final chapter by saying, What misery is mine? See, after having seen or heard, witnessed the brokenness of Israelites, the people of God, and the leaders of the nations and religious religious leaders at that time, Micah is saying, What misery is mine? This is terrible. Micah, he's deeply affected by seeing the societal breakdown. 
He's deeply affected both emotionally and at an existential level. Micah is not a superhuman. After fulfilling the calling that God has given to him, he is having the most humane moment. What misery is mine? It gets to him to the skin level. When you look at some other translations such as ESV, NASV, KZV, they translate this phrase, what misery is mine, as woe is me. In Bible, when he cries out, when the author cries out, woe is me, it's a classic expression of lament. God, things are falling apart. I'm not doing well. New English translation translates this phrase as, I am depressed. Oh, God, things are just terrible right and left. What misery is mine? Woe is me. I am depressed. This is too much to handle. Have you been there? Potentially, maybe one major event happens in your life that you feel like that's just way too much for you. Or perhaps it's just a drip by drip, one after one, another one, another one. All you got left is, God, I can't. I'm depressed. What misery is mine? If you are there, I pray that the prayer and the agony and the lament of Micah will speak to you. Why is Micah coming to this place? What misery is mine? Look, verse 1. He says, I am like the one who gathered summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. There is no cluster of grapes to eat, none of the early figs that I crave. Here, Micah uses, is Micah just simply hungry? Is he so hangry before the God? That's right, say, what misery is mine? I got nothing to eat. No, he's using a metaphor, imagery of a vine dresser who goes to his plant to collect the fruit in times of harvest, but everything has been picked clean. There's no fruit to eat. There's nothing left. There's no fig to desire. What is he trying to speak metaphorically? Well, Micah was showed three reasons. First one, he's grieving, lamenting this because there's disappearance of righteousness. There's disappearance of faithfulness. No one knows what is right. Look verse 2. The faithful have been swept away from the land. Not one upright person remains. Everyone lies in wait to shed blood. They hunt each other with nets. Now, Micah is talking about, in a sense, what we saw in chapter 1. The people of God, the Israelite, who should know better, they take their pride in power. If only I am strong enough, that is enough to save me. If only I'm beautiful enough, literally, that's the name of the town that we saw in chapter 1. I'll be okay, I'll be fine. Even the people of God who should know better, there's no faithful have been left in the, everybody has been swept Micah looks at Israelite. Micah looks at the church in America. Micah looks at Shelton today and says, there's not one faithful left. God, this is hard for me. Oh, where is the people of God? Now, this is not only what happened 2,700 years ago in Israelite. Even nowadays in a church, we went through the last few years of church, absolutely turmoil time as a church in broad our specifically, we went through a very difficult season. The church were so divided on the nation that one day I read or researched 30% of pastors contemplated about quitting the last couple of years. That's one-third. Micah is saying that there's no unfaithful people who should know better. They are just divided. They are going after whatever they want. They hunt for each other. Oh, God, I don't know whether I can make it. 
Not only that, second reason Micah is depressed. It's not only within the church that people are not doing right, but even outside the walls of the church. As you look at the nation, the leaders of the nation, political leaders, nothing's good. Verse 3, the ruler demands gift. The judge accepts bribes. The powerful dictate what they desire. They all conspire together. This goes back to chapter 2 and chapter 3 that we studied. In chapter 2, all those leaders, while the Lord required of them to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with their God, instead of extending justice, they extend injustices, economic oppression. Chapter 3, that's what chapter 3 is all about. These political leaders were oppressing their own people in order to gain all the goods. And you think religious leaders know better? No, they fuel that. Oh yeah, they only say the lip service to the political leaders so that they can pocket all the money too. In and out of the church, nobody is doing right. Is that just what happened 2,700 years ago? It was just a few years ago. Our capital was breached. Nation was divided. Everything was torn apart. And my God's looking in and out of the church Oh, God, this is too much for me. I cannot handle that. And you have been through that. You saw what happened last couple of years, very dividing political season. Then you thought, okay, that was hard enough. Then we walked in COVID season. People divided over vaccination masks, in and out of the church. And then you thought, that's it. Oh, now maybe COVID will wind down. Then what's happened in Russia and Ukraine? That will make you pretty depressed. So Micah's looking at all this. Even this faithful prophet is saying, I am not having it. Woe is me. This is not working out. Verse 4, even the best of them is like a briar. The most upright, worse than a thornhead. Even the best of them is good for nothing. None of them is doing right. Now, as I was studying, I was injecting myself to the story. And I was like, oh, I've seen this. This has been dark few years. But I was thinking, I think I can get by if it's just that. By grace of God, we are still here. We survived. We are still making it day by day. But what put me over the edge is what Micah says in verse 5 and 6. I don't think I can handle it. What happens in verse 5 and 6? Do not trust a neighbor. Put no confidence in a friend. Your best friend doesn't get you. You're absolutely left alone. And goes even further. Even with the woman who lies in your embrace, guard the words of your lips. You cannot trust your wife. You cannot trust your husband. Micah is talking about complete family and friendship meltdown. Not only that, your children are not just rebelling against you. Verse 6, son dishonors his father. Daughter rises up against his mother. Daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the members of his own household. Micah is not only talking about church breakdown, society breakdown, but family breakdown, your marriage breakdown. Wow, that would be hard for me. What got me through the last few years, my faithful friends and community of God who shepherded me in such a turmoil time. When I'm saying, I'm depressed, I don't think I can make it. They're the ones who rallied around. This would be so hard. As a pastor, sometimes I get to see the joys of marriage and also very sorrows of marriage. One time, a friend of mine told me, Jin, you think you can get lonely in singleness, right? I was like, oh, yeah. In your marriage, sometimes I find myself, I love my wife, but sometimes I see my wife late at night next to me. I'm like, who is this stranger I'm lying next to? Too? They don't get me. Sometimes some of you are feeling that way today. Gina, I love my husband, but he doesn't get me. 
my best friend, they don't get me. That would put me over the edge, I think. If there's nobody there, what's so strikingly sad and heartaching about what Micah is going through? Entire seven chapters we looked at, people of God gone astray, nothing what is right. Political leaders gone astray, nothing what is right. Everybody's not doing right. The only one person, what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God? Only one person who does right is Micah. He's faithfully proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. He's faithfully proclaiming, hey, repent, humble yourself. Judgment of God is coming. But even after faithfully doing what the Lord has called him, he's having a very humane moment of meltdown. God, this is too much for me. And I'm like, isn't that us too, children? It's not like we are openly rebellious. Perhaps we have a hidden sin that you need to repent. But many of us at the same time, we are trying our best to live for the Lord. We are trying to be obedient to the calling that God has given us. But we look around circumstance, this, that. We looked at some macro example of what is happening in the world. Yet you know what is happening in your own life. And you say, God, I am trying to live for you like my God, but woe is me. I cannot take it. This is way too much. Now, well, welcome to Shelton. If you are visiting with us, I am glad you came for uplifting sermon. <laughs> well, that's what Micah brings us today. How are we supposed to lament well as Micah is doing? Before I get to what the biblical lament really looks like, let me just lay out what is not biblical lament, lament so that you can avoid potential pitfalls. We, when God puts us through the dark night of your soul, Shelton, we all go through that one season or other, how do you respond? Because at best, we are so, doesn't know how to make sense of suffering and lament that we go one pendulum or another pendulum. You know which side you fall into. Let me just give you, this side of pendulum, when you do not properly lament well, is what I call it, macho Christianity or Elsa Christianity before she let it go. What it is, this is sort of like, feelings are all bad. Don't let it get to you. You must be the strong one. You cannot lament. That's a sign of weakness. Be strong at all costs. Elsa Christian, conceal, don't feel. Don't let them know. Be the good girl you always have to be. It's like suppress it all down. Conceal it. Is that what lament is all about? You must act always. God, you're good. Therefore, I am good 24-7. No, Bible is brutally honest about human suffering and agony. Some of you are there. Some of you even schedule your grief, lament. Okay, I'm going to have a hard time two days. After two days, I'm going to pull myself up by bootstrap. Everything shall be fine. What are you going to do after two days? You are still miserable. Circumstances are still bad. You are like, God, I just don't know what to do. I've done that. I'm like, God, my life's falling apart. I'm going to take these two weeks. I'm going to grieve. I'm going to work it out. I wrote 200 pages in my journal to work it out. After two weeks, I was just still miserable. And I'm like, God, I must be okay. This is not good. Let me suppress. Let me be a strong one. Is that what lament is all about? No, some of you are in this pendulum. Why is it so hard if you're in this pendulum often, the macho Christianity or Elsa Christianity? So you have a really good heart. So you are actually very gracious to others who are suffering, who are going through agony, but the hardest person to be gracious and be patient is yourself. You're like, I must be okay. I must be the strong one to care for others. I don't let it get to me. Conceal it, stuff it down. 
But Shelton, do you and I realize that timely lament is a blessing? When you just stuff it down, shrub it under the rug, one day it will hit you like a tsunami. It's like a delayed bomb all of a sudden hit you like nowhere because you just stuff it down. You'll explode and you'll have a complete meltdown without anything. Is that what biblical lament is? No. On the other side of pendulum, some of you are on the other pendulum, what I call it, not every moment holy, but every moment self-pity Christianity. Suffering and difficulty in life tend to absorb you. It's like a spiral, a vortex that brings, makes it all about your sorrow and your anger. Yes, you should pay attention to what is going on. You become so absorbed that everything happens in your life. You see what is happening in life through the lens of your suffering. That's all you care about. It becomes all about you. You don't even care about others. I've done that. The other day, I was just gathering a few friends, some couples, and this friend of mine, she was just sharing about her struggles of infertility, and she was just sharing about how she struggled with that, so she had to get many shots. I'm listening, and Jen, thinking it's all about me, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember when I had to get a lot of shots too. One day I broke my arms, so I had to get three shots a day. It was really painful. And a friend of mine who was listening just looks at me, Jen, we are not talking about you. I'm like, ouch, oh, sorry thinking I'm just all my agony. And then she responds by saying, that's okay, Jin. My husband does that to me all the time. <laughs> Her husband and I were like, oh, woe is me. The self-absorbed. Have you been, have, do you see those kind of people who is so much about their own suffering, their agony, everything is about them. Yes, you should pay attention to your feeling. Yes, that's, it's a good thing. But when you see entire life through the lens of your suffering, your agony only, it's like every moment self-pity Christianity, it's all about them. Oh, I'm having a hard time today because there's a wind. I don't like wind. Life is hard for me. Nobody knows the troubles I've seen. Now, neither of them are healthy, and neither of them is not what God has called us to be. Then what does really Bible speak about lament? Children, do we realize that Bible is brutally honest about human suffering and human agony? Like, in fact, out of... 150 psalms, roughly speaking, 40%, 60 of them are lament psalms. It's basically psalmists saying, life is terrible. I don't think I'm going to make it. This is worst. It's there in the Bible. In fact, there's a prophet who was known for his lament. His name's Jeremiah. He was known as weeping prophet. In fact, Bible cares so much about lament that there's a whole book designated for it called Lamentation. In fact, we have a God Savior who saved us through his lament. My God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was not known as a man of happiness. I'm sure he had joy in too, but he was known as a man of sorrow. Bible is absolutely brutally honest. It's not just shrub it in, macho Christianity, pull yourself by bootstrap, conceal, don't feel. But it's not just complete self-absorption either. Bible is very brutally honest about human suffering and lament. Having said all that, what is truly biblical lament Then you and I can learn from Micah today first? Unlike, unlike how we normally understand, lament is not an act of resignation or despair. Let me say it one more time. Unlike how we understand, lament is not an act of resignation or despair. Lament is, a, in a sense, a holy protest before God. God, I am angry. 
It's in us the holy complaint in the presence of God. God, I'm being honest with you. I'm mad at you. It's terrible. Our God can take that. It's a holy protest and complaining the presence of God, saying, God, life is terrible. This is not supposed to happen. Last two, three years have been just terrible, God. I don't know whether I can make it. It's honest, and Bible endorses that. Psalmist is all about that. Secondly, lament is a great way to process our emotion. Third, lament gives us true perspective as you process your emotion. Let me show you what I mean by that. You've seen a lot of things these few days. We as a church have talked quite a bit about what is happening in Ukraine. And just about a week and a half ago, I read an article by this Anglican clergy named Tish Harrison Warren. She's known for her work in literature of ordinary ladies. I know many of you guys walked through that too. And she's very honest about her emotion, what is seeing. She has seen this. She cannot take it. She has a little meltdown, explosion. But as she processes her emotion in the presence of God, she begins to gain perspective. Let me just read her blurb that she wrote in Christianity today on March 8th. I saw an image last week that I cannot shake. A Ukrainian father gripping the face of his young son's lifeless body which is entirely covered in a blood-stained sheet except for a halo of blonde hair. This grief-stricken father pressed his face against his son's hair, clinging to him, desperate and broken. I close my eyes to pray, and I see this image. When I think of it, I am heartbroken. But I also feel angry I brush up against something like a maternal sense of rage. An innocent child was violently killed because Russia's leader decided that he wanted a neighboring sovereign country as his own. And then she goes on by, she gains here where she takes hope. She goes on by saying, we hope God will enact true and ultimate judgment We look to him who knows every Ukrainian and Russian by name, who loves them more than I can understand, and who will avenge it wrong and make things right. We don't forego vengeance because we think that human evil is not worthy of vengeance, but because we believe that God is the avenger. We do not hope for peace only because we are indignant over unjust violence but also because we believe God is indignant and his judgment, not ours, can be trusted. Do you know what she's saying? She's having, I'm heartbroken, I'm angry. She's writing it out. Perhaps some of you, I don't know what you are going on in your micro world. We see what's happening in the macro world in this universe, but perhaps that's what you need when you lament. Some of you might need to write it out, journal it if that's you. At the end of the sonar, I'm gonna give you some practical ways that you can lament well. Uh, but like, how do you process your emotion? Because really, lament is not an act of resignation or despair. It's a protest and holy complaint in the presence of God. It's a great way to process our emotion. God can take it. You don't have to wear up this holy language. You can just say, God, I'm mad at you. I don't know what is happening. This world is terrible. And as you do that in the presence of it, it will begin to gain perspective. How do I know that? That's what Micah does here. Look what, look what Micah does in verse 7. After seeing all the meltdown of the people of Israelites, after he sees all the breakdown of society, leaders of the nation, after he sees all the family breakdown, now 
after looking at the circumstances, after just listening to own heart, what misery is mine, he begins to preach to his own heart. Look verse 7. Here's turn around. But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God my Savior. My God will hear me. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. That's cultural perspective. See, when we just look at the circumstance, Chilton, we are like, I mean, many of us are like Micah. We try to live for the Lord, but when we just look around, it is terrible. There's no hope. Things are falling apart. Yeah, it's okay. It's good to pay attention to what is going on inside of your heart. Yeah, it's good to know. But you cannot afford just listening to your heart. At some point, you must turn around and begin to preach to your heart. Because if you just listen to your heart, you know what? If you just look at the circumstance, you know what that's going to lead to? Woe is me. This is a terrible. I mean, nothing's good. If you just listen to your heart, you know what happens? Oh, I cannot sleep at night. I'm so nervous. I'm worried. At some point, you need to begin to preach to your heart. You know what's hardest, Shelton? I can preach this too. But do you know hardest person to preach to? Yourself. We know it. I shall hope in God. My expectation comes from him. I shall praise him. That's what Psalmist does in Psalm 42 after going through terrible. My soul, why are you downcast? Why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God. Yet I shall praise him. What is the psalmist doing? He's preaching to his own heart. And we need to learn to do that even though it is so hard because as you process your emotion, it will give you perspective. And we cannot afford just looking at the circumstances. We cannot afford just listening to our heart, but we need to begin to preach to our heart daily. That will grant perspective because biblical lament informs the truth. Unlike Eastern meditation, biblical lament is not just absence of your mind, but it informs your mind to what is true. And Micah is informing his mind to what is true. Lastly, fourth, what does all those three things assume? It's a holy protest before God. It's a way to process emotion. It's a way to gain perspective. It all assumes this Latin phrase, quorum deo which means in the presence of God. A biblical lament it happens always in the presence of God. Have you realized, have you read the book of Job, church? Job says a lot of terrible things that he shouldn't do to God. But in the end, God says, Job sinned not. I'm like, how? God, he talks like, oh my, ooh, I get uncomfortable just reading Job. Can he say that? But God says, no, Job sinned not. Why? Because even though Job was angry, mad at God, he was doing that in the presence of God the whole time. He never turned his back. He was having this holy protest, complaint session, but he was still in the very presence of God. God, I am mad at you. Life is hard. And God says, Job, I know you went through a hard time, but you sinned not. You dealt it well. So Chilton Go before the presence of God and process what is happening in your life. You cannot afford to just stuff it down. No, you don't have to be the strong one. It's okay. There's full permission to process before it blows up. You say, oh, I'm too busy, though, Jin. I get that. Me too. Sometimes the reason I stuff it down is I have to get through this. I have to plow through. I have to help people. And then I realize, whoa, my mental health, my spiritual health is breaking down before the Lord. I can't afford that.
and you can either. If you are not there quite yet, this will help you to get through, but perhaps some of you are right there. In the right in the middle of it, you are just drowning. And you say, Jin, I know I'm supposed to say verse 7, but as for me, I'll hope in the Lord, but I don't feel it. Is that okay? The good Christian answer is like, no, you must preach to your heart. You must be okay. Answer is yes, actually. God understands that sometimes, who knows how long it took Micah to get to verse 7. I hope for the Lord. I watch for the Lord. Verse 8, though I have fallen, I, I will rise. It's okay sometimes to just be not quite there yet. There's full permission in the Bible for that. How do I know that? When you read the book of Psalm, which is about human, that's great. It's a, the book of Psalm is one of the unique books in the Bible, Chelton, that marriage, scripture, and prayer together to great discipline because it's honest prayer. And out of those like 60 lament Psalm, all of them end like Micah does. After all the grief, but I shall hope in the Lord. But there are two Psalms in the scripture that does not end that way. And I was like, Hot. Psalm 39, Psalm 88. Psalm 39, Psalm is going through a terrible time. God brings all the hardship. Do you know how Psalm ends in the end? God, just turn your face away from me so that at least I can die in peace if you go away. Whoa, that's in the scripture? I'm like, I'm not going to preach that. That's uncomfortable. Not only Psalm 39, Psalm 88. After Psalmist also goes through a terrible time, Psalmist says, I shall hope in God and all that. In the end, do you know how Psalmist ends? What good is this? Darkness is my only friend. If you look at Hebrew Bible, the very last word is actually darkness. The psalm ends with, and my only friend is dot, 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 darkness. The end. Wait, it's in the Bible? What? How do I make sense of it? That's not true. No, darkness is not only psalmist's friend. No, God will not turn his face away from us. But why is it in the psalm? How do I preach out of that? This is what Derek Kidner in his commentary of Psalm 39 says. It, this really comforted me. He says, The very presence of such prayers in Scripture is a witness to God's understanding. He knows how men speak when they are desperate. Chelton, you know what Psalmist is doing? Darkness is my only friend. Do you know what, who is? He's still doing that in the presence of God. Psalmist is still saying, God, turn away from me. So the least I can die in peace. Who is he talking to? He's still talking to God. It's still in the presence of God. Even Psalmist is saying, God, go away. God, darkness is my only friend. So sometimes you say, God, where are you? I feel like you're just completely absent. Do you even care about me? If you're crying out like that today, that is actually a very sign that he's right there with you. If God is truly absent, he don't, you don't even care. You don't even know it's the darkness. You'll be indifferent. So the very sense of his absence is the very sign of his presence in your life. Do you believe that? Psalmist processing all this, even when you say darkness is my only friend. Some of you, when you're in the thick of lament, that's how you feel, darkness is my only friend. And the, the fact that it is in the psalm and still encourages us to this day is a testament to us that sometimes you can only intellectually say, I shall hope in God. In your heart, you might still feel complete darkness. God understands that. Go to him as it is. And as you sit in the presence of God, I pray that you will begin to be able to preach to your heart. True hope will melt down. So today, children, what will you do? Perhaps some of you are like very verbal processor. I hope you don't have circumstances like Micah 7, 5, and 6. You cannot talk to your best friend. You cannot talk to your family, spouse. 
If you're a verbal processor, it's like a vomiting. We don't, you don't vomit normally once. You vomit, there's a residual thing. You keep gotta vomit it out. Talk it out. In the presence of God, to your friends, to your spouse, lament well, if that's you. Or some of you are more, I do that too sometimes. Some of, sometimes I, when I go through the greatest agony, I just have to write it out, systemize my thinking. And I wrote, when I was walking through deep sorrow in my life, I realized in the matter of one month, I wrote 250 pages just journaling. God, I have to filter it out. I cannot just afford stuffing it down. It hit me like a time to delayed bomb out of nowhere. Or some of you are having that every moment pity Christianity. If you're there, perhaps you need to just go out, walk in nature to worship him, kind of detach yourself just a little bit. It's worth it to lament well in the presence of the Lord. Bible gives us full permission. Shelton, how do we know that darkness is not only our friend? How do we know that God will not turn his face away from us? How do we know that we can tell Psalms 39:88? Let me tell you, here's the truth. How can we say that? Because in Matthew 27:45, it says, on sixth to ninth hour, darkness fell upon the earth. And soon after that, our Christ cries out the lament. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you know what he was doing at that moment? He was absorbing cosmic darkness as he was descending, as he was descending to hell. He absorbed cosmic darkness so that we, like Micah in verse 8 and 9 can say, though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Our Lord Christ and Savior absorbed cosmic darkness. Our Father, dereliction, turned his face away from the sun so that he would never turn his face away from us. Though we have fallen, we will rise. Why? Because we have a Savior who lamented for us, who absorbed this cosmic darkness so that in our worst circumstance, we say, verse 9, he will bring me out into light. I will see his righteousness. Charlton, it is okay to be not okay. Jesus died not doing okay. He was lamenting, God, this is too much for me. But I am absorbing this cosmic darkness. So that when Jin walks through the cosmic, Jin walks through the dark night of his soul, I can tell him, Father, Jin, I'm right there with you. I have absorbed your cosmic darkness, and you will come to light one day. Shelton, will you take heart today? Move from lament, though I have fallen, to rise. Move from darkness to light. And we can do that because we have crucified and risen Savior who absorbed cosmic darkness, yet on third day he rose in light. Christ is risen. And that's the one we find hope today. So, Shelton, will you lament well today? It's okay to be not okay. Don't stuff it down. Bring it to light. Yet process all that in the presence of God today. If you don't know where to begin, let's sit at the foot of the cross. The Jesus, one who bled for us, died for us. In Christ we hope. In Christ we live. Though we have fallen, we will rise because Christ is risen. Let's pray together. Oh God, we have been through a lot as a society, as a church, as a nation. 
But not only that, oh God, many of us lost friends during pandemic. It wiped away so much friendships. We have our own agonies too, God. Maybe there's family conflict. Maybe there's a marriage conflict in our gathering. Maybe there's depression. Uh, maybe there's deepest agony. What is happening in this world really weighed down on them. Maybe there's unfair criticism nonstop from work, from friends. God, this is too much. We are trying to live for you. If there are any of those who have gathered here today, O oh Lord, will you breathe hope within them? Maybe they feel like they are sitting in darkness today. Would you allow them to be okay for a while? Help them to not remain there. Help them to just never just stay there or tarry there. But would you allow them to at least know that sometimes we feel that way and you understand that. The psalmist said that. So God, today we take heart because Christ has risen. We can hope. Though I have fallen, I will rise. We will move from lament truly to take hope in the Lord, darkness to light. Oh God, this is a miracle that we cannot do it to our own heart. To do your mighty will to your, our heart today, we consecrate our hearts to you. In your precious name we pray, amen.